Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Going in Circles Big Monday Show. My friend and compatriot, Mr. Barry Spears, will be with us in just a minute. We uh, had a little bit of derby trail action this weekend at Santa Anita and Aqueduct. Nothing to uh, to get too excited about, but, uh, you know, kind of interesting race. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the newest Going in Circles Digest, where we... Uh, extend our our wishes and our hopes for this year on the racing calendar what what happens and what we're hoping happens probably nothing will happen that we hope for but uh you know we put it on paper and we want you to look at it but uh, we'll talk about that we'll talk about all sorts of interesting topics uh when we come back from the break Hello, Sniper. What's happening? Well, I didn't <laughs> think that when we started to tape the this week's show that the national championship game would already be over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was over when TCU won. I don't think it matters. I think that Georgia stiffed last week. They, they were ridden by the Ortiz brothers. Ah. <sighs> Nah, who cares? It's college football. And as long as Alabama doesn't <clears throat> win, everyone's happy. Yeah, probably. Um, how's things there in uh, Daytonaville? It's like the frozen tundra. It was 65 this weekend, and I did not like it. Ooh. That's uh, socks with slides weather. Yeah. I do that normally, but that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Bad fashion. Um, I had a little bit of an attack of the gout on uh, Friday morning. Yeah, how you feeling, man? You you you, you uh, reduced that. Uh... Well, let's put it this way: about three o'clock in the morning on Thursday night, Friday morning, I was con- contemplating cutting my left foot off. <laughs> <laughs> but I couldn't find a knife sharp enough, so I decided, well, let me go to the clinic. And for some reason, I waited till like 5.30 because I'm not really sure why, other than I don't know if there's any pharmacies open in the middle of the night here. And if I go there and get medication, I have to sit in the pharmacy parking lot for like four hours. I won't <clears> be happy. <throat> so I don't know, for people that don't have the gout, it's like an intense pain. Um, I get it in my big toe, my left big toe, like the toe joint. And <laughs> great way to start off a horse racing broadcast. <laughs> but um, it, it's it's like someone stepped on your foot, like stomped on your foot repeatedly, words, like like thirty times. So, anyways. Uh, it's 30 degrees, it's raining, it's pitch black out, uh, I'm driving to the, the, the 24-hour walk-in clinic, and I can't get my shoes on, so I'm, I walk into the place barefoot, like, uh, and I'm thinking, they might have me committed for walking around in 30-degree weather, and, 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 you know, no shoes, but it was, uh. <clears throat> putting shoes on there was a shoe was not getting on that foot at that point i mean it would have been like 
sticking your your foot in the fire. So, anyways, I got there. They uh, they got it all sorted out. They got me on. Uh, I'd probably get like three years from heist of the amount of drugs that they have in me, but, uh, <laughs> but no, it's 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 better. It's just uh, just hey. funny. My friend called me and he he had a he had a attack the 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 next day. He had the the gout too. So I guess to... you need to stop sipping that scissor. It's right. a very, uh, it's a very gouty. <laughs> Stop sipping on that scissor. That's what got you there. You got to drink more water. No scissor. <laughs> you know it's scary because you look at the, the the foods that you're not supposed to eat, and it's like everything I like is on the list. But it does. It, I don't get it often. But um. It's not fun. I I can tell you that much. I got in my hand once, like years ago, and one of the most painful things I've ever had happen to me. It hurt. Yeah, yeah. It's... I somebody told me to drink pure cherry juice, and it worked. It was gone in two days, and I was fine, never to return. So I don't know. I will tell you this. If you decide that you need to go to a walk-in clinic. Don't. <laughs> five o'clock in the morning is the best time to go. Yeah, nobody's in there. Exactly. You're in and out. <clears throat> that, that, was the only, uh, that was the only positive about it. And the doctor lady, she was really nice. Usually, you know, I get lectured, but um, usually I don't go, but. I was gonna say you can't get lectured if you don't. Even go. That's right. If you don't go, you can't get the lecture. Um, but um, but anyways, uh, just a little while ago, I put out a article for the Going in Circle Digest about um, things about you know our hopes for the uh, the new year, and uh, that comes on the heels of last week. We we put like a little bit of a. Uh, <clears throat> a look back on the 2022 some of the things that you know stuck out in our mind but um this week we went the other way and, and said uh, these are the things that we hope will happen and check it out uh if you see uh our social medias it'll be uh, posted on there if you have not signed up Going in circles. Need to. Need to. I mean, what are you waiting for? It's free. Steve Christ is on that list. Steve Christ. The Steve Christ. The. Yes. But, um, yeah, we we put down quite a few things and uh, probably nothing, none of them will happen. (laughs) I think uh, the, the Sid for the Hall of Fame committee should be if anything the overriding whatever you want to call it resolution that should happen in my it's, humble it's, opinion it's a no brainer to me yeah to you yeah to other people mm, not so much no i mean honestly there's there's just <clears throat> the one thing and, and we've made our our feelings clear about our view of the eclipse awards and how it's something to argue about and something to talk about but it, it really in the end 
you know, who, who was the, the, the Philly sprinter of the year three years ago? Nobody knows. Nobody cares. <laughs> um, but some of the things that we do, if we're going to have these awards, then they need to do a better job of, number one, clearing the voter rolls. There's too many people voting, and you should have some sort of um, – there should be some sort of, of requirement in order to vote other than just because have, signed up because you did something somewhere at some point that even if, if they went through and um, you know, you were allowed to vote every third year, something like that, unless you were a, a full-time media member. I mean, look around racing, how many full-time media members even exist not many um that was my whole point when uh, you know a few weeks ago maybe months ago i guess i don't know uh when i was talking about the steve kornacki thing like it was nothing against him personally but there's so many more people that you know don't have a vote that probably should and i think that you know they should, you know, I, I had the back and forth with a couple of people, you know, on the on the subject. And, you know, my stance was it should be a distinction. It should be an honor to do something like that, not just something everybody can do. There should be some, you know, legitimate um, criteria for somebody to be able to vote. To make it mean something other uh, if you do it any other way. It's like, well, yeah, but so-and-so's on that, and they vote, and they're idiots. So, you know, that, that would eliminate all of that nonsense. And then the, the end-of-the-year award, you know, beyond the breeding implications, would actually mean a little bit more, I think. But, you know, that's just from where I'm sitting. You know, the game changed. It changed in the, the way it's covered. And when was that? that I'm we don't to have. Well, it's kind of been a gradual thing. Yeah. As newspapers have have diminished in importance. Um, yeah. You know, that they, they lost ad revenue. <clears throat> they made cutbacks. Horse racing was was one of the first uh, areas where they cut back having a, a horse racing correspondent. And because of that, we, we've lost much of our independent media, which, which is a big problem for the business, for any industry that doesn't have uh, any sort of, of media oversight, meaning that, yes, the media doesn't have any authority to do anything, but they can call you out for doing something. And in racing... <laughs> We don't have that. And then you and I and other people, we all know that uh, there's retribution to be paid in racing if, if you get out of line. And <laughs> if I worked for, uh, you know, the, uh, the Chicago Tribune or, you know, the L.A. Times or the New York Times, well, racing, could none of those people could do anything to me. I could write whatever I wanted as long as I, I stayed within bounds. And they could get mad, they could be upset, but they couldn't get me. They couldn't prevent me from getting a job, or they couldn't try to. <laughs> right, they, they can't dox you. Right, 
and and, and, and we don't we don't have that player. anymore. I mean, <clears throat> almost all of the racing media that we see is is either bought and sold, you know, bought and paid for, excuse me, or it's a uh, an arm of an ADW or an arm of the jockey club or uh, it, it's, it comes from the racetracks itself where so it's actually not, it's not journalism. It, it's, it's PR and racing suffers because of it. Racing suffers greatly because of it. There would be um, a lot more focus on some of the things that, that don't get the focus. There would be a lot more uh, questions asked. There's, there's no, Andy Byers or Stephen Christ's and you know you can make fun of Byer because of his uh, derby you know slump and you, you might not like his speed figures but the fact of the matter was the guy was a brilliant rider for 35 40 years in racing and and he wasn't afraid to ask the hard questions and that's what keeps people honest that that's what what, what makes you know creates change and in our world our society has gotten so convoluted that that many, many, many people, way, way too, a far too great of a percentage of people, are completely willing to listen to the news that they want to hear, as opposed to the news as it actually is. And because of that, we have very few um, credible media sources in that something isn't uh, biased in one way or another. In racing, it's not necessarily biased. Like, some of the positions just simply aren't even covered. They're not even talked about. And, you know, we talk about them, um, but we're little, you know. We, we don't have the the outreach of uh, the New York Post or, or you know, a big uh, media company. And that's that's unfortunate because uh, you know tracks have gotten away with a lot of stuff. Uh, some of the stuff that we wrote, you know, we're both in this article today. Yeah, the, the fact that the PDD, the the permanent disabled jockey fund, still doesn't have a an industry source of uh, of revenue. Yeah, that's egregious. Uh, I'll go to my grave on that one. Like that's terrible. Knowing all the things involved, all the things that the jockeys do, uh, their job, their job description, you know, how dangerous it is, everything. No insurance, all that kind of stuff. It's, 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 it's pretty bad. Um, you know, that, that there's no excuse for that. Well, it's good news that uh, the girl got hurt at Sunday last week, Joy Scriber, actually seems like she's getting a little bit of feeling back in her legs. Yeah. Which isn't a guarantee of anything, but it's it's a it's a really good sign. So, um, it's always a little more personal when you know the person. I, I barely know her. She worked for me for like three hours. But, <laughs> no, but, but I mean, you, look you at know, look at the other day, yesterday yeah. that that spill at, at Gulfstream. Yeah, right. I I mean, you know, Louis Saez took a tumble for real, man. Like, I I don't understand how he came out of that you know, in, in, in good shape. I mean, he walked off the track. Yeah, it, it is pretty amazing. I mean, it's, it's like you're in a car accident at 40 miles an hour, except you get, you get thrown directly out the window. <laughs> you know, um, 
No, it's it just to me, it, it, it bothers me because A, no one talks about it. And B, uh, I hear a lot of, well, it's complicated. It's, it, it, everything's complicated. We ran 37,000 races in 2021, the last year I could get the numbers for. Um, 37,000 races between uh, the racing here and Canada. And if you took $30 off the top, now remember, every race that's bet, bet on, the jockeys get their cut. The horsemen get their cut, and the tracks get their cut. The commissions get their cut. If we took 30 bucks off the top of every race that was run last year, that would be $1.8 million, which is probably triple what they're they're bringing in now. And you've got to remember, there's 60 people in this. 60. Not 6,000. This isn't like the horse situation. And the horse aftercare issue <clears throat> is an issue. But if you want to tackle the horse aftercare issue and you wanted to take care of every single horse aftercare, you would need about $500 million. And I'm not, that's not, that's a realistic figure. You would that's need probably a little on the low side. You, you would, yeah, you would need $500 million to buy land, to buy access, to, to, to set up an organization, to set up. It, it, it would be a ludicrous amount of money. Ludicrous. Um, that doesn't mean it's not important. It doesn't mean we need to do something. Because and that, that's a that's a that's a, a racing thing too. Where if if you say one thing, then then it, it's oh well. If you're for that, then you're against this. Well, that's not exactly true. <laughs> that's not oh, exactly man. true at all. We're trying to separate these things. But the point is that these people were were literally handicapped because of their participation in horse racing. And everyone went in with their eyes wide open. No one was tricked. Everyone knows it's dangerous. That That is true. But as an industry, we need to do more. And, I mean, you look at the issue with this football player um, from last week mm-hmm. and some of the news that came out about because he's a second-year player, because he doesn't have very much guaranteed money on his contract, that he also has not played that long and, and isn't vested and, and, and isn't even covered for very long uh, if he were not able to, to play. Um, he would lose half his salary if he's placed on the injured reserve list, which is, which is nuts. But, uh, you know, and the football players have a union, which is not a good union, and they... Uh, not to get off on a different subject, but it, it, it's a similar vein of to what we're talking about, and they just they just have done a poor job. And the fact of the matter is, it's our fault. It's the fans' fault because most fans are are selfish, and everybody's all for ham on this week. But the truth of the matter is, if the players went on strike to 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 make things better for them, to make things fairer for them. Everyone would get mad at the players. The owners are always bad the bad guys in these situations. And that's the funny thing is no one uh, seems to understand that. Oh, remember the, the baseball thing? Always the bad guys. These remember are the billionaires thing? trying to squeeze out more money for themselves. And no class in, in, in history of society has benefited greatly or as greatly 
uh, or, or as, as profitably as the owners of professional sports franchises in the modern day. They never go down in value. They all go up in value regardless of how poorly they treat the fans, regardless of how poorly the team performs. The values keep going up. Now the NBA is allowing um, – they're, they're allowing institutional money to be invested in teams, <laughs> meaning that um, more and more money is available. So the team's values are going to keep going up. The, the next deal for them is supposed to be uh, the media rights, the TV rights, blah, 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 which was a $25 billion deal last time around. It's supposed to be a $75 billion deal this time. The NFL just sold... Uh, the, the 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 season tickets package to uh, or you know who who got the bid uh, <clears throat> um, not Amazon uh, YouTube YouTube they're paying like I don't know fifteen mil- billion dollars sick man <laughs> to show games that ever that, that are on everywhere else I mean there's a tremendous amount of money in there and and the players are uh, compensated. And the top players are compensated tremendously, but it's the small guys. It's the guys that, that fall between the cracks. And in our industry, it's, it's uh, the permanently disabled jockeys, the guys who who are, are hurt badly where they can't do this anymore. And, and in a lot of cases, um, can't do much of anything anymore because they're, you know, they're in wheelchairs and they don't have the ability to do physical things. And a lot of them, didn't spend a whole lot of time in school growing up because they were riding. That's what they were doing. And this is not the NFL. This is not the NBA, but we should be able to fund this. It should be able to be worked out and everyone should contribute. The, and, and I say that from the industry side, I'm not, I'm not saying that any money should be taken from, from betters because I know a lot of people that do bet. And a lot of owners and a lot of other people do contribute to them, and they they contribute to their fundraisers. Now, Carlo Vecareza has has raised a tremendous amount of money, offering his restaurant up uh, for fundraisers on an annual basis. Uh, a lot of people have made huge donations and, and been very uh, generous. But the fact of the matter is that there should be a way to make sure that these people are taken care of, and it, it's not a lot of money. It's not a lot of money. So, so, anyways, off to a cheery start. Yeah, I went to the gout to that. It's going to get better. That's your it is. fan. It is? It's going to get better? It's going to get better. All right. I trust you. What do you think of the sham? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <clears throat> I just don't understand how the whole world just fell asleep on the third Baffert horse. The other, other Baffert. Yeah, you know, you can't fall asleep because typically, I mean, you know, when you see him run multiple horses in a race, one's cranked up and one isn't. What do you what do you think about Newgate? I actually like that horse. 
Um, I, I I like the dimension he showed, um, even though he didn't win. Um, kind of flattened out a little bit, but I think he can improve off of that effort. I don't think he wants to go that far. That may be the case because he did kind of stop and, and kind of idle, and, and that's when the, the four horse just kind of kept going. He really wasn't finishing up all that fast anyway. Um, you might be right. I, 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 I definitely like to see him again. Um, but it's so tough because, you know, it's, it's, it's a short field and it's hard to really get a good gauge on what they can do. Oh, it was a short field, but there, there was sufficient pace. I mean, yeah, there was good pace. The horse, uh, spun intended. He put a lot of pressure on, on reinvested. Um, and, and they went legit fractions. It wasn't like they were out there walking the dog. They, they were going legit fractions. And, and Newgate made that menacing move. But to me, he looks like a horse who just is going to be better, like a one-turn mile. Turn mile, yeah, one-turn mile, cutback. Uh, I can and, see that. I can definitely see that. I mean, to me, the winner's going to have to show show me that he can do that again. <laughs> He might be able to. I'm, I'm always a little bit wary of Bob Baffert horses that win on the lead in short field races, even though, you know, it was like the Spider-Man meme where <laughs> it's Baffert, Baffert, Baffert. But um, Well, usually when it's it's like that, you know, usually when he has horses that are, are the goods, they typically run off in races like that and nobody touches them. And that didn't happen, which is a little bit, like you said, you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt or, you know, kind of. I'd say me personally, I'd have to take a look at all those horses again. Um, you know, it was it was a decent race. It wasn't, you know, slow or anything like that, but it's hard, you know, with, with the short fields for me anyway. Um to really evaluate them because I mean, look at how Messier fooled everybody last year. You didn't fool me. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but you don't count. You're sharp. <laughs> <laughs> I had unusual hatred for that horse. And he won the sham. I just, I just, didn't, he, he, didn't he win the sham last year? Uh, no, he did oh. not. He won the, uh, the Bob and Beverly Lewis. The Lewis was the worst invitational. The Happy Jack. The Happy Jack special. Now, last year, uh, some horse won it last year. Beverage, some, I can't remember who. There's so many. Last year was not a strong year. No. And, and you know, it, the, it had been a strong be the year. case this year, too. I mean, I, really, I you know, National Treasure was. He stunk. He's terrible. He, he sat the perfect thing. pocket trip behind a fast pace. The, the, his main the main contender pulled up and, and he, he he couldn't get any he, he got nothing he got nowhere nothing i mean I, I thought it was it was no good i mean uh i mean the 2020 version of the sham produced authentic and you know pretty much no one else but authentic was uh, pretty authentic yeah, but it ran off that's um, what I'm, the year know. after it was uh, life is good and, and medina spirit that was the race where medina spirit really showed me something when he um, right, when he, he came back, when, when he cut into that lead of, of yeah. a life is good, but uh, uh, last year wasn't quite so good. But um, yeah, I, I thought uh, National Treasure really kind of tailed off, and 
Uh, I guess spun intended is going to be okay. Uh, I don't know. There weren't many details released, but he is, uh, you know, has a, a non-life threatening injury, which well, that's good. I guess know, he walked onto the van. I guess it wasn't like uh, too bad, but sounds like a case of the gout. Man, I wasn't walking nowhere. <laughs> it had to pull my shoes to walk on the van. Uh, I did say on the uh, in today's little little article about <laughs> what I would do if I was really rich. I would sponsor the Jerome. And I would make them call it the Send It In Jerome. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd have Bill Rafferty and Jerome Lane hand, send out, it the, in. hand out the the trophy every year. Uh, I actually have to brag about that because I, I really did well in that race um, this year. Wagering. I, I really liked the winner. Uh, Lugan Knight, who's by Golden Sense, trained by my guy, Whitey McCarthy. Um, Dug in gamely. That's what I would say. I don't think we saw any uh, prospective derby type horses in that race. I mean, but he's a nice horse. Luggin Knight's a nice horse, but to me, he, he's golden sense. He's out of a Spitestown mare who was just a sprinter, who wasn't even really any good. Um, and he, he looks to me like he's going to be a one turn horse that you know, would be much better off pointing towards the Pat Day, the Woody Stevens, the Amsterdam, the Alan Jerkins, uh, two of which, you know, are great one races and two are great two races uh, with, with a lot of money. But to me, he's not going to be a mile and a quarter horse. That is. And, and I think that um, the horse who ran second, the New York bred Arctic Arrogance, he, he's a tough horse. I mean, he runs hard. He tries hard. Um. But I, I don't see him as really a horse. He's he's going to be better off sticking to the New York circuit in the winter. And he showed in the Remsen that he can get the mile and an eighth. But uh, I don't know that he's an actual, you know, graded stake type horse. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. I, I think it was an okay race, but we didn't see the the next coming of spectacular bid in there so no well there was a an allowance race at Gulfstream <clears throat> we talked about this morning oh, oh yeah I like well, that it's a three-year-old uh race Gulfstream I, every winter there's always a couple of these allowance races I mean one year uh always dreaming won the derby came out of one of these Gulfstream early season allowance races mm-hmm. it was a little bit later in the season but uh um, a horse named Cyclone Mischief for Mr. Romans dusted off a, you know, uh, um, how do I describe that field? <laughs> Hard knocking group. Well, the ones that had run more than once all were very ordinary. Uh. And the ones that looked the most promising were all. Well, shouldn't say all, but three of them were coming out of first-time out wins. Two of them came out of first-time wins sprinting, stretching out to a mile. And that's the one advantage that um, Cyclone Mischief, who's a um, 
an into mischief cult who's out of a Bernardini mayor who, who's out of an alleged mayor. So there's run all day plenty of stamina in the pedigree, but um, you know, I he he ran a really good race. He, um, I just I'm a little wary of him because number one, he he started off his career <clears throat> running long and. You know, it's it's one thing when horses sprint a couple times, then you stretch them out to two turns, and you expect that improvement to come, you know, there. But I think part of his improvement is that he's done this a bunch already versus a lot of other horses that haven't. And I think that he's got a fitness advantage over the field that he ran against yesterday, and that he had run, you know, three um, mile or mile 16th races versus horses that only had one six for a long start. And he, and he got a great trip. I mean, he sat in behind uh, a, a pretty strong pace, and he kind of bowled his way through. I mean, he's a giant horse. And he drew off nicely. I mean, I'm not going to say that he didn't. But I think that might have been as much about his having had those three prior route races to, to give him a lot of stamina and a lot of bottom and the other ones kind of fading. I mean, the time was pretty good. He got a 90 buyer. Uh, his sheet numbers were 11, 11, 11. So he had room to improve. And, uh, you know, we talked this morning about it too, is a certain trainers get patterns and you see their horses run similarly over the years, I'm talking about like you know thoroughbred patterns. Uh. Um, guys like Baffert, his horses come out. That's the one thing about the, the horse. <laughs> they start fast and get fast. Yeah, his horse that <laughs> won the the sham. He is not a typical Baffert horse. I mean, it took four starts for him to break his maiden. He started off on turf, and he run pretty slow. He he didn't start off running you know spectacularly fast numbers. Most Baffert horses. Even the ones that don't wind up being any good, they usually run fast early. And I think physical issues is, is what gets a lot of those horses. I mean, they're not going to come out and say it, but, um, you know, the best horses are the ones that can run fast and not have the physical toll taken. Um, but guys like Pletcher, his horses come out and they usually run pretty fast first time out. Not as fast as Baffert horses. But they usually run good numbers right from the, the, the good ones, right from the start. Um, and his horses usually get better or they get worse. And uh, I know it sounds a little stupid, but <laughs> a lot of trainers' horses, um, a guy like Shug, for example, his horses will come out running and they'll run the same number two, three times, maybe four times. Then they'll start to improve. And their improvement will be gradual. Chad Brown is like that. His horses will, will get a little bit better every start a little bit better every start and, and you know most of them will plateau at some point um or you know one time they, they might they might regress a little bit and remember numbers are opinions they're not facts you know a, a speed figure is an opinion it's not it's not a fact there might be a formula but the formula is also a lot of times based some, some of the some of what's baked into a, a speed figure is the opinion of, of the figure maker too. Uh, if a track was, you know, this much faster, that much faster, blah, blah, blah. Um, but Ro 
Roman's horses are usually erratic. He, <laughs> his horses usually don't. They, they don't run similar races time after time. Like this horse, they'd run eleven and change, eleven and change, eleven and change. His horses usually run eleven and change, eighteen, seven, twelve. Like <laughs> it's hard to discern. Um, it's harder to discern where a horse is heading from figures on some trainers. And Romans is one of those guys who's difficult. Uh, Wayne Lucas is, is difficult. His horses always would would sometimes just run. Um, they just go into a, a out of slump. nowhere. A, a good race would come up. Yep. And then it'd, it'd be gone for six races. And then it would come up again. Um, yeah. The, there's. You know, some guys are, are very, very steady. Grand motions horse numbers are usually steady, 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 steady. Um, and that's just, uh, it, it probably has something to do with the type of horses they have. Grass horses, obviously. Actually, I don't say obviously, but grass horses will tend to run similar races. Right. The, yeah. the variance is not nearly as yeah. great because, yeah. you know. The difference between grass horses in, in, in on any given day is not nearly as great as the, the potential, you know, difference between dirt courses. I mean, we've seen Aqueduct in the winter sometimes. You know, they go three quarters and fifteen, and everyone's, you know, that that's like a fast pace dying in the you stretch. <laughs> well, the thing I liked about uh, Cyclone Mischief, <clears throat> and you know, this is kind of the counterpoint, I guess, is like you were saying, the horse has, uh, you know, some bottom, you know, he's, he's run longer races than the rest of them at this point. And that's kind of like what I want to see, you know, the way things have been going, the, you know, let's say the last like 10 years or so. I'd rather have a horse have some fitness. Now, whether that horse continues to improve is a whole nother story, but at least for the time being, you know, I, I think he's in a good good place. We'll we'll see when the waters get tougher what he does. But, I mean, I like him as a physical specimen. I like the fact that he's run long a few times um, and, and have a good foundation if he can keep that going. But like you said, it's it's all about soundness and being fast without being injured <clears throat> or having some sort of issue. And... You know, we don't know that yet for sure. So there, there's a lot to wait and see. I mean, even with the, the sham, too. I mean, I, I got to see more, you know, at least. And it and it stinks because we probably won't see much more. <laughs> you know, you'll see these horses run once in January, maybe once in February, once in March, and then probably won't see them until derby time. Yeah, he... Uh... Figures to probably run back in the Holy Bull, which is February 4th, makes, you know, a lot of sense. Um, you know, the interesting thing about him, uh, kind of on, on, on your side of the, this argument, is that people love to overbet the, the new horse. <laughs> you know, the horse with one star, two starts, and... A lot of times the horses with the bottom are the ones that, that wind up, you know, having more success than the horses that are a little bit more flashy. Um, because sometimes that flash 
comes because the field they beat stinks or they took advantage of uh, inside track or, or whatever the reason is. Or I had a horse right one time and, and she was not a great horse. I mean, she wasn't even a good horse, <laughs> um, but she won at Monmouth. This, this is what I thought of her. I bought her for like 12,000 out of the two year old training sale. She was in New York, bred her, had her at Monmouth. And I didn't even ship her to New York to run her in the maiden, New York bred maiden 25. I said, you know what? I don't know that she's worth the, the expense of shipping over to New York. She's not very good. And, you know, let's just run her at Monmouth for maiden 20. She probably isn't going to win first time out, anyways. And, you know, kind of see uh, see what we got and go from there. Well, she breaks sharp from the gate and goes wire to wire. <laughs> <laughs> and um, she never ran close to that race again. I wanted to, matter of fact, I sold her to Billy Badgett for like a grand. <laughs> a dollar. True story. Um I ran her back. She, she, you know, she didn't, she, she ran to the quarter pole and just stopped. And, you know, I asked the jock and I remember him saying, you know, sometimes they'll just run scared first time. Like they're terrified, you know, that they're, they're, the morning is different than the afternoon. And, you know, you got a big field, you got crowd, you got, it's just different. And the horses sense it. And they break in front, and then there's eight. It was eight or nine horses behind her. Well, that's also eight or nine jockeys behind her, uh, you know, whistling and, and yelling, and and they just they run scared, huh. you know, like holy shit, let me get out of here. you know. It's like uh, you know how I found out I could run a lot faster than people think I can when I was getting chased with a machete chased by a dog. Well, I got chased by a machete one time, and uh, oh yeah, an ex-wife wielding a machete, and and I was like. Usain Bolt? I could have at least qualified for the Olympic team. But, um, <laughs> you know, that motivation. But it's, it's, I think sometimes it's similar with horses. And the first time out, they don't know what's going on, and they just go out there and run. Well, and it's, as it's they start say to, that. As they start to figure it out, a lot of times, I remember Jerkin telling us this, that we wouldn't school horses first time we ran them. He said, they don't know what they're doing. You're going to bring them over there, and you're going to school them in an empty paddock. You're just bringing them to a place that they're, they're already, you know, they've already probably been into, you know, because we would walk through the paddock and on their way back and forth to the track and things like that. It's the second time you run them when they know what a race is because the first time they don't know what a race is. They have, they have no idea what, what you're doing with them over there in the afternoon. The second time when they, they remember and they're like, hey, I know what I'm going to do here. And that's when they give you more trouble second time, not the first time. And I think that sometimes you see that with horses and not like Baffert horses because them horses are drilled so much. I mean, he, he works them so hard against other good horses that. Yeah. His uh, bench is like, you know, the dream team. So it's, it's like they're, they're running against, you know, Olympic runners every, every morning. And, and it doesn't matter who they're, they're training with. They're, they're probably pretty fast. But um, I, I do think that there are, are situations where that, that happens with horses and they, they run that first race and they run huge and um, they regress from it. They don't, they don't necessarily move forward. Um, well, it's one of those things like, 
you know, um, when when you're analyzing a race full of first-time starters with horses that ran once already. I like to look at horses that have longer, slower works than the ones with the, you know, 47 Hanley from the gate. I'd rather see 101 for five. And, is, and it, to me, that screams like this horse is probably have more stamina and you know especially in in like six and a half seven furlong races main races like that those are the ones that get it done because you know you get those horses that run really fast and they go out there and they run fast for the four furlongs that that they were running you know in in training and they kind of slow down and and you get passed by those horses with the bottom and you know it's not rocket science but you know, it gets overlooked a lot. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of other action that caught my eye. No, there wasn't really much going on. It was, it was, it was decent. I mean, you know, the racing was actually pretty good this weekend, despite, you know. I guess Cal Cup Day, right? Yeah, it was actually all right. It was, you know, I, I wanted to say Sunshine millions. Was it millions or Cal Cup? There, there was someone made a, a comment about a race on Cal Cup Day, <clears throat> <laughs> and he, he complained about the jockey's ride. And I got to tell you, I, I even made a comment yesterday. No one bit, but uh, I'm on Twitter. Surprisingly, but I wish these people had more money. Because the obsession with jockeys is just the dumbest thing that you can do. So many people don't get it. That uh, they they let their wager cloud their view of the of the ride. And oh, there was yeah. a, there was a race where a guy rode the horse like it was like a textbook perfect ride, and his horse was just second best. And the other horse who won the race was like three to five. Who's <laughs> <laughs> a really good horse who just kind of shrugged off the speed duel and then, and, 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 you know, and, and, ran up. and yeah. won, he didn't win comfortably. I mean, he had to work, but the, the horse who finished second, the jockey rode him perfectly. He sat right in. He just eased him out at the top of the stretch. He didn't lose ground. He, he got him in, you know, close enough to the speed where he, he could not, not have to work too hard to catch him but not so close where he gets burned up chasing. Uh, you know, he, he had a nice smooth transition to, to kind of angle out and he gave his horse every shot. He just wasn't good enough. And I see guys saying, Oh, what a terrible ride. I'm thinking to myself, that was like a perfect ride. Like, what did you expect? Like what more could he have done? Like, uh, do you think you can ride with a, um, what a lasso? And, and, like, you know, catch the horse in front of you and, and have him pull him back and slow him down? Like, what is it that you want out of rides? Yeah, I mean, just, sometimes I'm, I'm just, you know, people, someone was complaining about Flavian Pratt's ride in the last race the other day on the grass. His horse is a dead closer. 
If there's not that much, if the other uh, one of the speed horses, there look like there was two main speeds. The the second main speed horse broke behind Pratt's horse. He broke. He, he walked out of the gate, and then kind of rushed up. It wasn't you know so far behind he couldn't even get near the lead. So yeah, the pace was slower than expected because the other speed horse didn't break. Well, what do you expect the guy to do with a horse who's going to be last anyways? Like, where do you want them to go? Oh, we should have sat closer. Well, how do you move the four horses in front of you out of the way? <laughs> go go wide on the turn to be like. This is what I I just I I find it fascinating that people can watch races and just not understand the dynamics of what's going on. Like, if the pace is slow and you're on a closer, being closer doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to be better, especially if you have to use your horse to stay closer because then, then it won't have as much kick at the end. That's why betting closers is a difficult thing. There's also traffic issues. You cannot prevent the other horses in front of you from cutting you off, unfortunately, sometimes. Sometimes the holes don't open up. Sometimes you have to go six wide. And I, I just think that, man, so many people complain about bad rides that just simply aren't even bad rides. Yeah. No, you see the 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 uh armchair jockeys <laughs> um they go pretty hard too sometimes unnecessarily because they just didn't understand what they were looking at and their bet didn't pan out for whatever reason. But you know, with that one you're talking about in particular uh that 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 was pretty much a perfect ride other than the fact that the horse just did, couldn't compete with the the horse that won he did he, he <laughs> it, did. it was literally like a perfect ride you you couldn't have got any better position he was in the right spot at the right time and the horse just wasn't fast enough you know and that happens i mean that's when you know when you're on the right horse and it just doesn't work out for whatever reason you know that 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 means you you did a good job, you know, with with your analysis. But they see it the other way, like, oh well, it couldn't have been how I saw it. It had to be the jockey, and that's totally wrong. Yeah, it's fun, and this is not to say the jockeys don't ride bad. Oh yeah, we, there's we some get atrocious rides, rides on a daily basis. You just see guys. <clears throat> Guy, guy angling to a dead rail, guy, guys taking, you know, uh, engaging in speed duels with 70 to one shots on needlessly. There, there, there's, there's many bad rides. And a lot of them is, aren't, aren't you know, like I said, sometimes you just have to go wide. It's not that you wanted to go wide, but you have no choice. Right. It's just the way it works out. If a jockey gets in traffic trouble, that's usually not the jockey's fault per se. Well, that's why trip handicapping can be effective. I mean, it, it's just, you know, sometimes things just don't work out for whatever reason. Um, you know, a lot of times it's, it's, it's a little fluky depending on the race, you know, especially in grass races. Sometimes you get these, these fluke things where, where horses just back up in front of another one or they get trapped on the rail, rail doesn't open up. You know, just racing luck happens. It happens a lot, you know. Um, and you have to have a healthy understanding of that in order to be a good better. 
you know, uh, I mean, I, I, I always maintain that the key, one of the keys to being a good better is having the right mentality about what you're doing and what you're seeing and how you come in and out of a race. Um, and and, it, and it, it's not talked about enough, um, you know, in general, even, even the best handicapper slash betters in the world don't really talk about this stuff that often. Um, I don't know whether it's because they, you know, figure out that that does give them an edge having a good head on your shoulders when you bet rather than going on tilt and just firing away at, at whatever, uh, which does happen. <clears throat> but, <clears throat> but doing that, you know, you can learn a lot more from a, your betting mistakes and B it, it allows you to watch races without all the subjectivity, <laughs> you know, and, and, and you can effectively analyze it and, and say, Hey, you know what? It wasn't our day today, but we're going to put that one in stable mail and we'll get them next time, you know, lose the battle, win the war kind of thing. No doubt. And it goes to both, um, you know, being a, a trainer an owner or jockey for that matter. Uh, and, and a better in that you have to be able to accurately understand what the hell you just saw. Yeah. And, and be realistic. <laughs> you know, trainers and owners are realistic about that, it. That don't understand what happened. And there are, believe me, there, there are lots of them. They continually misplace their horses because they don't, uh, they blame the jockey or they mm -hmm. blame this or they blame that. And they're not understanding that, hey, your horse got a perfect trip. And finish sixth he's just not good enough for this class or um you know the distance just isn't proper and 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 being able to understand the difference between uh an unfortunate ride and a bad ride there's a difference between a, a getting you know bad racing luck and a guy who just did something that was you know did, didn't make any sense I, I always think it's funny when horse stumbles from the gate and people blame the jockey. What what, what was he supposed to do? <laughs> oh man! You think he has like the, to do? like superpowers? Lucky he stayed on. Yeah, the horse's head hit the ground. Like what was he, what was he right. supposed to do? Well, no, I mean you've known me for a while. When when is the last time you you saw me get mad at a loss? No, I you, you, listen. It happens, you know. No, I know, but I, I, I mean, honestly, I got this way because of my wife, and she's always like, I don't even want to know how much you were alive to, or no, you right. could have won. So she can't tell whether I have a dollar on a horse or a thousand dollars on a horse. She has no idea, and that's that to me. That means that I've learned something over the years. Is that you know, it's it's it just happens. I understand what I'm seeing. I'm. I'm you know, I'm like, all right, well, they, I didn't get it today, but shit, I'm, I got a plan for next time, you know, and I, I, I hardly ever get mad. Even when I lose, you know, big scores and things like that, it, it's just I, I understand the long run and, and, and how the way I play will keep me in business. You know what I'm saying? Um, but I think a lot of people get a little short sighted in that instance and they bet that way too. And it's not always conducive. You know, sometimes, you know, you have to be able to adapt. 
to certain situations. Sometimes, you know, it's, it's okay to, to call audibles. Other times you need a plan, um, like a bona fide plan, but it, it, it's just stuff that I've, I've learned over the years from losing when I was a kid. And, and I, I made a point to never do some things like that again. And, and it, and it works. Um, but you have to be realistic about what you're doing. And, and sometimes people aren't. A lot of times people aren't. Yeah. You, you know, in order to be successful, you have to have confidence in yourself. You have to have confidence that your, your decision-making process is a good one and that you have a good opinion. And that, that's, that's, like I said, from, from both sides of the, the aisle, from you know, being a trainer or being a, a, a better but you also have to, you know, you have to know, like, this is something you say all the time. You have to know what you don't know. You have to know what you know, know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And, and you have to understand that uh, preconceived notions are, are often, you know, wrong, wrong. And it you have to, to judge, you know, your, your, you have to, you have to adjust your judgments of things. Uh, there's very little advantage that you can gain in this business anymore. We were talking about this with a friend of mine today about, um, you know, which sheets they, they use to try to buy horses out of the broodmare sale, you know, racing age prospects. So it doesn't matter. It, there's no advantage either way. It's, 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 it's immaterial, honestly, because everyone has the numbers now. There's no advantage anymore. Right. And what you need to do is find holes in the numbers. I mean, we discussed this, and I'm not going to bring up any, you know, say any names or anything. But there's one set of, of of figures that I think has a lot of holes in them, and they're a popular number. And uh, uh, I think that sometimes that that could be something that could be taken advantage of. Yeah, clear cut examples too. Like you right. know, they're just proving your case. When you show me the case, you know, I was like, wow, that that's that's pretty glaring like and and that's that's the only advantage you have could you imagine being able to imagine if you had buyer numbers just buyer numbers and nobody else had them and a race that came back a 95 buyer that went three quarters and 112 on a super super slow track that horse was racing against horses that were racing on a speedway that won 110 and two that got 75 buyers you know that the horse running the 95 bar is way better. But 30 years ago, the horse who ran the faster time, he'd probably be 7 to 5. And the other horse would be 7 to 1. These days, everything's switched. <laughs> you know, the overlays are gone. The advantage is gone. The, the, the trip notes, everybody can get their own. You want to watch a race? You can make your own trip notes just by watching races. You can pull up a race. I used to do that too. <laughs> you could pull up a race in, in 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 thirty seconds, and you know be able to fast forward and and, and go through, right through the whole thing by yourself. You don't need anyone else to do it. Make your own judgment. What I used to do when I was a kid. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you I, that. Like, I remember when they used to have this stupid. Uh, I used to tape the Harvey Pack show. Every right. Day. That's what I was gonna say. I used to tape thoroughbred action yeah. on. On Sports Channel, if you remember that, mm-hmm. I used to tape it during the Belmont, like uh, in June, July, 
preparing for Saratoga. And I'd have a list of horses that got into trouble or something that stood out to me. And I'd put them on the list. This is like, you know, I was 14 years old at the time in a VCR. I used to tape them. I used to look through all the races that I, I couldn't see at, you know, back then. Um, you, you, you know, you couldn't see races on TV, really. Um, and I'd go back and watch the tapes, watch them every night, you know, even tape the, you know, the, the stakes re, mm-hmm. uh, you know, replays on inside racing on Tuesdays. And that's when, you know, Tuesday was really the only dark day. But the rest of the week I was taping everything and, and, and taking notes. Right. I mean, and it was effective. I used to get horses that, that came back at Saratoga and pay $25. And I, I was, you know, I'd be like, dad, can we go get some ice cream now or what? What, what are we doing? <laughs> but, you know, it was just my, my foray into the game and exploring, you know, avenues to gain an advantage. And, and back then I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I was just doing it. I was like, oh, that seems like a good idea. You know, looking back, it was it was way more intuitive than I, I really could imagine at this point. Um, but it was it was just how I learned how to play the races. It was just a foundation. And, and it's it, I still do it to a certain degree. Stable mail is like my best friend. I see stuff all day long. Horses that, uh, you know, like, man, we got to get that one back. You know, sometimes they end up being singles in in a, in a pick four or pick five sequence that, you know, that aren't favorites. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah, no, I, it's it's true. They used to have the kiosks. We had to go. To. Oh yeah, oh yeah. You used to give them the slip. Yeah, and they're like, yeah, go to go to monitor number four. <laughs> yeah, man. And then they got they got the discs in the in the you know the no touch, no no that's not the right race <laughs> the the touch screens yeah yeah man that was great I used to I used to drive uh, from from Boston all the way out to Saratoga I used to get up mad early so I could get there around eleven so I could use the the race replay that's funny. It really is. Like I said, man, the lengths that we used to have to go to, the we used to have to dig through the American produce records to try to find out like who was, uh, you know, who was related to who. And well, remember the hurdles on trying to like when ADWs were were just kind of getting going, like the hurdles you had to jump through to get money into your account. Yeah, that's crazy. It's it, it really is nuts to think <laughs> like remember they had the 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 stupid things you get at like cvs the the money pack yeah it's the footed with the money pack it's ridiculous you know now looking back it's like it's totally stupid but that's all we had uh, yeah back, right. shrup shrup used to say it all the time on tvg back in the day yeah yeah it's uh take for granted a lot these days <laughs> yeah man I will say that that I, I was a little upset that uh, Justique scratched on sa- Sunday because I know you needed somebody to bet against. I was looking very, very. Not only was I going to bet against her, and I was going to cash because she was not going to win, but um, 
I was going to, I was going to, uh, I was going to troll on Twitter, but oh yeah, they were going to come for us. I was going to troll them. Deke and Rich Strike, man, they just don't like us. No. (laughs) But actually, it might even be better because the truth is that she is probably better around one turn than she is two turns. And I'm guaranteeing they're going to wind up running around two turns. I don't know what happened to her. I hope nothing's wrong with her. I hope that she's. I think she spiked a fever, is what I saw. Hope nothing is really wrong. We, we don't want things wrong with horses. We especially don't want things wrong with horses who we're tending on betting against. Man. That was like a rich strike in the Clark. Yeah. <laughs> Running, right? <laughs> He's still in, isn't he? Okay. There's we a scratch. Not- it's not him. <laughs> People still mad at me about that, by the way. I don't care. You know what? The fact of the matter was we were right for six months was correct. And it shouldn't have even had to come to that for people to realize that. But it's very strange how people can get attached to horses and just like become blind to everything else about them. And, and it's strange because it happens once in a while. And I understand why people would do it for like uh, Zenyatta because she kept winning, even though she was beating donkeys. <laughs> um, and it had, she ran in, in competitive races and um, not that she wasn't a great horse. She was, but she, she would have never been undefeated had she run, like, you know, not against a bunch of crows two thirds of her life. But, I understand that because she won all the time. I mean, that that's easy to get attached to horses to win. Have www right? <laughs> but it's ones that are just you know not that great that just get these reputations and they, people just keep on like loving them. It's weird to me. It's like uh, what's it called? You know, I, I I threw out the comparison that at one point that Monomoy girl was. Better than Zenyatta, and people were out of their minds. Just because of the competition she faced was better. You go back now, you don't even recognize most of the horses she raced against most of her her, her five- and six-year-old career. No. And she ran great in the Breeders' Cup. She yeah. ran great. She ran great in both Breeders' Cups. This is not to say that she's not a really top horse, but she's not a top ten horse ever. Are you nuts? No. No, definitely not. <laughs> I'm not that old, but but you know, the horses of the '70s would would have would have smokestacked. <laughs> Ruffin would have been so far ahead of her that that she wouldn't have even been in the same area code. Actually, uh, Caitlin Free asked a question the other day uh, on Twitter about who's the best horse that never won horse of the year, and I was thinking maybe Ruffian. Yeah. It's hard to gauge like how great she. I mean, uh, I mean, we're talking about a horse that's been dead for forty years. I never really saw a run in person. Seen the tapes though. I remember the I remember the race, man. <clears throat> we were in uh, we were on the Jersey Shore watching. Was uh, we were on vacation that week? 
That was that was pretty awful. I was only frick, I was young, young. But I remember I remember walking around the mall that week, and people had on buttons. Buttons were a big thing back then. That <laughs> were were for ruffian or for foolish pleasure. Yeah, I remember seeing that in the documentary when they were talking about the buttons and Yeah, I, I remember that. I do remember that. And I mean that that was right around the same time where uh Leroy Jolly had a had a, a Miller Light commercial. Oh that's right, yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine? Can you imagine if Todd Pletcher had a, a had a had a uh, I don't know. Who does commercials these days? They don't even have like celebrity people on commercials. No there. celebrity pitchmen anymore. But uh, you know, can you imagine if Todd Pletcher was doing a uh, a, a marketing campaign for like McDonald's? Oh, that would be so fantastic! I think they should do it. That that's what it was. That's what it was, man. And and Leroy Jolly did two of them. Or have them do a commercial for Dean's Gold. <laughs> they have those, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but not with Pletcher. No, not with Pletcher. <laughs> <laughs> you need to put him in there. <laughs> His wife would shoot him. Remember back in the day at Calder, where they had like the illustristic yeah. between race, yeah, like antics where they would promote like the pick three and pick four with the. With the Spanish girls? Yep, I do. Political correctness was not in effect. Not even thought about at that point. You know, I like Calder. Calder was a great little track. I love Calder. This is how long ago uh, I've, my memories go back to Calder. I used to get haircuts there. <laughs> Yo, I thought that was the greatest thing when I went to Belmont. They had the barbershop in there, and I was like, oh, my God, this is the greatest place ever. You get your shoes shined. You get hair haircut. They had the best knishes with they had, they had uh, brown mustard, yeah. and then they had you could get your hair cut. And I was they like, like a, Why a would I ever stand. leave this place? You get all the papers. It was it was. I was like, Why would you ever leave this place? It's so great. He called it was a night. We we loved coming down from New York. We always come down the first week in December, and we wouldn't run too much at Calder, so. I mean, the rest of the year we ran all the time, all the time. So there wasn't much time off. And remember, this was back when we were running uh, five, six days a week. Five, six days, yeah, yeah. six days year round. So there wasn't that much downtime. We get down there, and we didn't run much, so we could go to the races and hang out. The paddock was always kind of cool. Guys, a bunch of people you'd see from uh, people you hadn't saw from Maryland, the people you hadn't seen from Kentucky. Uh, the Canadians would all come down, and and it, it was just kind of a cool little place to hang out before the racing got serious again at Goldstream. And it was it was always a nice crowd. Um, the races were always big fields, competitive. The track used to be super deep; it was hard to figure out, but uh, it, it was a nice little track, man. Yeah, it was <laughs> wasn't in the best area, but it was it was always. No. It was always fun. No, and when you're young, that doesn't even bother you. No, I don't care. You get shot. Who cares? Gunfire starts to to <laughs> affect you a little differently. But get shot, uh, you know, shake it off. You're tough, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, 
Yeah, it's too. It's 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 like one of the tracks that I do miss, you know. Um, no, Hylia, I loved Hylia too. Hylia is fantastic, also, man. Let's think about that. You you got Hylia, Calder, Gulfstream, and Tampa. And Pompano. Pompano. And then the dog tracks. <laughs> yeah. Third lane. Yeah. Um, what is it? What was that one over there? It's like Hollywood. Hollywood. Flagler. Didn't they change the name to like Mardi Gras? Yeah, Mardi. It, that's what it's called now, Mardi Gras Hollywood. Yeah. And Palm Beach, of course. Palm Beach used to do good. Hell yeah. That was my spot when I when I moved to West Palm Beach. That's where I was at. I was I watched uh, the 2009 Breeders' Cup there. I think I want to say, and I I was in the middle of a poker game where these two guys started fighting. <laughs> oh man! So I ended up I ended up placing in the poker tournament. And then uh, banged out the nice trifecta in the Breeders' Club Classic. I really didn't like that that classic because it was synthetic that year. Mm-hmm. And like, uh, you know, I, you know, usually I would kind of, I didn't really want to play it. And it was it was wacky results too. And you know, I was like, well, I figure Zenyatta's probably going to win, so. We'll just take a shot. Wasn't really involved in that Breeders' Cup too much. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. So, well, was who 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 concocted that that whole s- scheme to get? <laughs> Synthetics at all the California tracks. It's just a bad it still idea. makes me laugh. Like every time I think about it, it makes listen, me... man, they want to do it again. Oh no! This is, the, this is one time. of the like. Remember the debacle they had at Santa Anita when they couldn't get races to run because, like, the <sighs> drainage problems, and then they were like, oh, forget it. We'll just go back to dirt. It's it's just. You know, there's just no words sometimes, right? They didn't learn from that time. Like, they you know, want to, they want to use, they want to go back to it. Is it because of the the Gulfstream thing? I don't know. I don't know what the. I don't know. I I have no understand. Like they put the the they they redo the Stronic Five and make it worse. It, the one thing about the Stronic Five was it's a tough bet. It was a tough bet, but it was a low takeout bet, mm-hmm. and it was a quick bet, meaning that the five legs didn't take forever to run. That was the beauty of using three, <laughs> two or three or four different tracks. Right. Ghost, uh, you, you know, you throw in a gold, uh, Golden Gate and a Laurel. Laurel uses, used to start it off. And it was frustrating because I always used to blow the Golden Gate leg. But <laughs> Tough track, man. Anybody plays that? I, I remember the one day. Wins the one day was the worst because I didn't like the favorite, 
in the race and and one of my horses got scratched and i think it was a six horse race and i wound up with the favorite because one of my you know that got scratched the post time favorite and uh i so i wound up with like four of the six and of course you know who wins one of the horses i didn't have <laughs> the exact it comes with the horses that you don't have <laughs> and it was like oh god and, and i'd used a bunch of horses in the other legs and I, I didn't use all because the ticket would have been like you know more than I was billion dollars would have been more than I was comfortable betting on Astronic Five, but um, but it got over you know the one they have now, like I, I think Sunday, it, it was four hours between first and last leg, yeah, it was an hour and a half between leg one and two. It's it's you know and this is going over two different tracks over coast to coast. I, I don't get the. I think people are attracted to that. Like, why would that be a benefit? They'll bet it still. If it's a good bet and it's a low takeout bet, people are going to bet it. There's no doubt about it. But Right. Why tie it to that? Why not just do it all the time? But, but like, why needing why, – why do we need to have this, this cross-country unbelievable nonsense. gap between the races? I mean, if your first leg goes off at 2 o'clock and your last leg goes off at 6 o'clock, well, unless you showed up at the races at two, which is unlikely, it, it's just too long. And I, I, I know the arg- I know what the argument would be. Well, we're trying to put the best races on. It's too long. I don't know. It's uh, it's not a new bet. It's the same bet. It's just, it's just they just use. You know, they just cut out two tracks and they made it forever instead of making it fast. Yeah, they, they should have kept it the way it was. If I was a racetrack, the last thing I would want to do is tie up money in a bet that lasts for four hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If that's... I'm alive, then, then you know, I'm, I'm, I'm likely to not wager as much in these other legs. And, you know, whatever I've, I've in, invested in that, that race... Well, I don't know if I keep winning. I don't know what my status is. Not everybody just goes to the races with unlimited amounts of money. I mean, that was always kind of the thing was you, you didn't want to tie up people uh, too long because. Right. They, they're not going to put it back in the window. Right. So. And like you said, if, if 15% is a great bet, then why, why don't we have it all the time? Why aren't all the that's why aren't all the pick fours and pick fives fifteen percent? Seems that simple, doesn't it? It is that simple, right? But no, Chuck, it's too complicated. People, I love when people tell me that. I, I love that. I really, honestly, I love. I love. When I know you do. <laughs> you know, it, it just is. It's it's just baffling to me. Like like. Like, like, you know, they're trying to figure out how to get a, make a Lego set, you know, build a rocket to fly to the moon, like that kind of complication. Instead of, you know, a wagering menu. It's Gabe Pruitt figured it out. <laughs> Did you see that LeCompte only has five nominations? Yeah, what's that about? I almost think that's got to be a mistake. That's what I was thinking too. I was like, "That's that that can't be real, right?" 
I mean, the raising secretary cannot sit there and not get nominations because you have the ability as the raising secretary to tell people, listen, nominate 10 of them. Don't worry about the fee. We'll waive the fee. You can waive the fee. Trust me. I've been in lots of races where my fees have been paid for by the racetrack because that's how they got me to run in the race. As a matter of fact, one time I ran third in $150,000 race to Churchill because I didn't have to pay to start or enter. Because I said, I'm running a maiden against winners. And well, before it was fashionable like it is now. Um, <laughs> I, saw, I saw a turf way the other day, a first-time starter. Won the stake. Won the stake. Um, but, um, you know, the Donnie Richardson, who was the VP of racing at the time at Churchill, said, listen, you don't have to. I, cause that's, that was my set. That was my, my comment. I said, listen, I got to pay $3,000 to run in this race. You know, Mr. Ramsey might not go for it. And he's like, don't worry. Wait, we'll waive the money. You don't have to pay for anything. If you win or, you know, you run one, two, three, we'll just take it out of there then. I said, all right, fine. So, uh, we we wound up finishing third, the Jefferson Cup. Nice, but um, but it's a nomination. It's not even an entry. It's a nomination. How can the gun runner, which was kind of the prep for low comp, the first seven of the seven horses that ran, the first six nobody even nominated for the next race? Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Like Steve Asmussen and Brad Cox didn't nominate a single horse. They don't have a freaking a good maiden over there. That's been second or third a couple times. There's one horse that's stable in the fairgrounds nominated to the race. Two of the horses are Pletcher horses. One's a guy from Delta, and, and the other is uh, Paula Lobo, who's who's uh, in the uh, in Kentucky. It just seems baffling to me that that they can't get. They can't get nominations to a race. I mean, if it wasn't a, a triple crown rep prep, I mean, what the was it epicenter's coming out party? It, it's tough to move the race because then you you get on top of the next race, right? The spacing right. goes. Of course, there's <laughs> if no one runs in this race, you don't have to worry about the spacing to the next race. I mean, last year the damn favorite for the Derby ran in this race. Epicenter. He got beat by uh, the Kent the Sormo's brother's horse, uh-huh. who, who never ran a good race. Call me ever. Midnight. Yeah, and you know who's in that race? Rich Strike, I think, was in that race. Rich Strike ran was... up the track. The Brad Cox horse went the the, the, the uh, went super wide. Um. Yeah, it, it's it's. That's the strange one. We were baffled by the ride. It's one of the strangest things (laughs) I've 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 seen. I really am like taken aback that between the the there's not a single horse stable at Oakland Park that's nominated. Right, there's an option. None, zero. Well, maybe we're we're giving people ideas at this point. I, I don't know. It's very, very strange. Very strange. It'll be interesting to see. That's next weekend. That's not this weekend. But check out the Going in Circles Digest. 
Yes. Goingcirclesdigest.substack.com. Uh, you can sign up for free. And let us know what your hopes for the new year. Yeah. Please. Your racing hopes. And shout us out on Twitter or something. Yes. Put a hashtag New Year's resolution or something. <laughs> my my hope for the 2023 is that the Knicks can not be a laughing stock. Well, yeah, well, you need to get rid of the coach first, so. Yeah, they blew another one tonight. All right, Derek, stay 40 minutes again. <laughs> <laughs> Man, he's literally riding that wave till the wheels fall off. Tim. I don't even want. I don't even want to talk about it. I'm just happy my team got in the soup, the the playoffs, even though they might get wiped out Saturday or Sunday when they play against the America's team. Now everyone yeah, for Buffalo. Tua's egg is still scrambled, bro. Yeah, Mostert's got a busted thumb. Taryn. See, he came all the way up here, busted his thumb. See, that's what happens. Just stayed in Miami, bro. A lot of issues, but uh, well, they made it, so. I haven't run into Ed Reed yet. Yeah, he's the coach now, right? But mm-hmm. Yeah. I was reading, I, read, I saw a video where he was talking about how he intentionally lined up the wrong way <laughs> when they were playing against Peyton Manning to try to goat him into um, into throwing to the ball. So he lined up the wrong way and he turned the wrong way on, on purpose. Because he's, 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 I know Manning is going to see me leaning the wrong way and, and, and have my hips the wrong way. And he's going to throw it. And I'm gonna. That's pick. what you're supposed to do. He goes, but he doesn't know that I'm doing it on purpose. And as soon as I see him, and he and he said, he goes, whenever he was throwing the ball to the left side of the field, he would always double pump it. He goes, as soon as I saw him do that, I just turned, turn around, ran the other way, <laughs> and he, he picked it off. And um, I thought, man, that's like, <laughs> that's like thinking like three steps ahead. Yeah. You know? Like you have to, and, and that's almost like handicapping these days. You, mm-hmm. you have to find the holes in the system. You have to find the horses with the superior numbers that you, for <laughs> some reason, you know, aren't as good as they look because they're going to be over bet, but you got to, you know, or, or it's like finding that horse who might be a little bit slow, who's about ready to make the jump. They're just, you know, at this mm-hmm. point, uh, a few Not lengths behind story. everyone else, but the, you know you have to bet them as they make the leap because once they make the leap, then they're chalk again. Right. Then everybody's on to them, and next time out is the bet against. <laughs> yeah, it, you really have to be um, think dynamically. And yeah, I, so much... I get that way sometimes where I'm one race too soon, and then sometimes you know you you know you'll bet on horses, you'll come up with a, a theory of some sort. No, horses aren't terrible. They just weren't, you know, just not good enough. I mean, that happens. You, if you're going to accept betting those horses, especially at, at um, longer prices, at longer prices, right? 
you're gonna you're gonna have some clunkers. That's just gonna happen. But you know, you can't you just can't bet chalk these days. You just can't bet it because chalk's over. Even the chalk is over bet. <laughs> I know, amazing as that sounds, but horses go off three to five that probably should be closer to two to one, five to two ish. Yeah. Oh, there was one. That, what, what was that horse that I was talking about the other day? I was like, I don't understand how this horse is bet. Oh, man, I have to check this. I was like, I don't understand how this horse is bet. It's uh, it's it's tough. It's it's really tough. Yeah, it's tough to gain an edge because you just there's so many, so much more information flying around, and the late odds changes still bother me. I mean, oh, it's gross. It it's like it psychs you out a little bit because you know when a horse is sitting there, and I think we talked about this week, is sitting there at a price you like. I know, but like. You're waiting and waiting and waiting. <laughs> I know what horse it was. I remember now. Yeah. Papa Cap. Oh, yeah. He was a toss. <laughs> he was bet down to six to five. Yeah, we talked about that race before the race. And it was yeah. Like, you asked me why he's why? bet so much. And I said, I'll, I'll give you the reasons why he's bet. A, there's nobody in the race with form. B, there's nobody in the race with speed. And, and you know, the, he's a name. He's been racing against. Jack Christopher and, and horses that people know, and most of these other horses just aren't in any form. And I remember saying to you, I ain't gonna bet them. <laughs> I sure ain't gonna bet them at seven to five. But I I at least understood why people were betting him. And his figures were good, but they weren't like it wasn't like he was four lengths better than anyone. He was actually running about the same as, as some of the other horses in the race. Right. He, had, he had that name value, and, and Cassie actually was having a, a pretty good start to the meet. And um, But, I mean, he, he was not a – he's just – I didn't like the way Rosario rode him. I mean, I, I bet against him, but um, – like, Yeah, that me, was, he's a horse talked that, about that, too, about when he, ride. Yeah, when he <laughs> broke on the lead, and, and you know, talking about, like, different types of rides and you know, earlier we're saying oh don't blame the jockey well this was a case where he's a horse that doesn't really pass horses so when you break on top in a, in a paceless race that there's really not much else in there to be fearful of wouldn't you think that that would be the time to go on with him and and you know hey let's put him on the lead again and see, and see what happens right like, I, I'd rather try him on the lead but he, he gave the lead up to the outside horse and let him dictate the terms, and he could never catch him. I mean, he's a horse who's got a lot of races, and you know that he's not the most – he's not the gamest animal in the world. Yes, that's a good way to put it. You know, so those are the types <laughs> you'd think you'd rather say, hey, listen, try to beat me on the lead than trying to catch somebody. You know, that, that was a case where I, I, I'm not going to say it was a bad ride. I just don't think he... Right, the tactics weren't... I just think his tactics didn't fit that horse. It didn't work out, yeah. You know, 
And maybe Cassie told him, hey, don't go to the lead. I just have a hard time believing that. Not to mention, it's Joe Rosario, and he doesn't ride for Cassie that much anyways, and he can do whatever the hell he wants as long as he wins. But, um, yeah, that was that was just a, uh, a ride that I, I thought could have been different, and it may not have made a difference. It may not have made a difference because, like I said, he, he wasn't significantly faster than anyone. He really wasn't faster than that, that much, and you know, he's just a horse who who's very content to, to run, you know, with, with the pack. Right, he's one of those ones that that ran really well very early in his career and just never improved, never really got better. And and you say to yourself, like, what do you do with him coming out of that race? Well, same thing you did. Come- <laughs> I, I think same thing you've done the last ten times. You, you can't use right. him on top. You can use him behind, underneath, because. He he he'll clunk up against any kind of horses on any distance, but he's just not a a horse that's got that you know that late speed or that will to get by. He just doesn't. I, it was just unfortunate because I kind of I, I kind of went in the wrong direction in that race instead of just um, you know taking the horse that was going to be on the lead in the paceless race. I mean, at Gulfstream Park in a sprint race or a one turn race. And you have a horse that, that is going to be on the lead, and there's not much other speed in the race, and the horse is you know, arguably Bar- as fast as everyone else. Bar- that should almost be like an automatic bet. Yeah. Uh, that was a. That really was, is. That was just a screw up by me. And I, I, listen, I wasn't going to bet, you know, life changing money on a horse or anything, but it was. It was one of those at the half mile pole. I'm like, shit, I bet the wrong horse. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, I've done that so many times. Uh, you know, where you make a decision and you're like, yeah, I, I picked the wrong one. I picked the wrong one. Oh, well. <laughs> oh, Suits. Suits got their second win. The Suits did. The suits did. The Clyde Frazier suits won their second NBA fantasy base or basketball game this this week. This matchup. We were zero and nine, and now we're two and ten. Yeah. Well, you did me a favor because the team that you beat, I was in a tie with. So I ended up winning. How I don't know because the last two weeks I've won without my two best players. Booker and Steph Curry injured. Yeah, well, I traded uh, I traded Damon Lillard, and Bradley Beal's had like uh, uh, he's had like smallpox the whole year. <laughs> well, guy average guy averaged twenty nine points a game last year. He's knocking on the door for thirty. I get him. He's averaging 22. He never plays. Uh, Good thing Time Lord isn't a Wizards fan. No. But at least, you know what? I I honestly was very concerned about... uh, I mean, it was pretty obvious after the first week of play when we have uh, 15-man rosters and I had nine guys that were injured and out. (laughs) <laughs> the things were going to be difficult for my team. It's an uphill year. climb. That was me last year. I was yeah. my team. It was just COVID central. They just yeah. one guy got it, came off it. Another guy got it, and it was just it was just ridiculous. The whole year, it was it was a pretty quick realization that I, I, I was you know 
that the mash unit I had was was gonna be screwed. But uh, I I got to a point where I was concerned that I would win because we play weekly matchups that um, against one other team that I wasn't going to win any games. <laughs> I was going to go over like uh, ever. What we play twenty six weeks or something like that. I was going to be over yeah. twenty something and. Well, we avoided that. So, so there, there's that's interesting. That's interesting information that virtually no one in America gives a shit about. Um, but that's uh, you know, that's what you get at the end of this. What you get at the end. What you get. The Time Lord sending us pictures of Chet Holmgren on the sidelines. I enjoy that. I like Chet. I, I actually traded for Chet Holmgren because I figured, why not have an injured, another injured guy on my team for the next <laughs> couple of years? Yeah, but he's been good luck since you got him. He has. He's a guy that hasn't played an in, <laughs> a, 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 a minute, and ever since I got him, my team has been on a run. So he's just good luck. But they're actually going to be a good team at some point, the, 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 the Thunder. When everyone actually gets healthy and they have more, they have 18 number one picks the next few years. <laughs> yeah. The NBA is wide open league this year. People complain about, uh, about parody, but it, it's, uh, there's about eight teams that, that have a puncher's chance at uh, getting lucky and getting, you know, good at the right time and, and, and winning. And the Lakers are not one of them. The Lakers are not. The Lakers are thirteen point underdogs to the Nuggets today. <laughs> and the Nuggets aren't even really that good. Nah, the Nuggets are really good. <laughs> the Nuggets are very, very good. Fade uh, the Nuggets at your own risk, my friend. I'm, I'm fading the Nuggets. Right. Come playoff time. The Nuggets are also beating the Lakers by twenty. Twenty. I was getting waxed. Yeah. No, the Nuggets are good. They got everybody back. Everyone's healthy for the first time. I mean, they got to put Michael Porter in. Uh, <laughs> after the game, they should they should put him in. Uh, they should get metal. Bubble, they should put bubble wrap and give him a metal spine so he doesn't. But no, they're they're good, and they got they got everybody. Everyone's back. They got a lot of good players who know their <laughs> role. Like the Rock says, "Shut your mouth and know your role." There you go. Sabria hates when I say that. Oh, uh, LeBron's not playing tonight. The Lakers trotted out Juan Toscano, Tom Bryant, Pat Beverly, Dennis Schroeder, and uh, Doug Christie's kid. I swear to you, I have five dudes on my Facebook that can beat that team. Literally, like today. Can beat those five guys. That's 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 a pathetic team. <laughs> the poor LeBron. So I know. And everybody gives him so much. You know, you know, it's funny. So many people hate LeBron. Oh man, they hate and, him. Um, he's having an unbelievable year. Ridiculous. <laughs> Dude's nasty. The guy's like fifty years old. He's and he's on a terrible team, and he's scoring like thirty-eight a game in the last. 10 games <laughs> like literally he can't do anything more like i honestly thought four years ago when he stopped playing defense so much and started resting on the on, on that end 
that we were seeing him the demise the, the decline because i'm thinking to myself he's feeling it <laughs> and he's not playing defense like he used to because he's got a million miles on his legs remember he started he, he was in the nba when he was he was 19 so it's not like the old days where guys played in college where you play a third of of, of the minutes that you would play in, in an nba season um, you know, for two or three, four years, he, he, he was doing that since he was 19 and he's a big guy. You know, he's not a, a, a thin guy. He's not a small guy. He's, he's, he's heavy. He's big. He's... But to, to be able to play at the level he saw at, at 38 years old is, is just uh, phenomenal. Just unbelievable. I mean, most top NBA players are done at 32, 33, you know, that, that demise starts. And they get to where they're just, you know, they, they lose it. Even Kobe Bryant, and you know, his last year, um, he, he was diminished. He wasn't the player he'd been. And then, you know, he had the Achilles. And, uh, Durant, you know, has been great this year at 34 up until, you know. The thing about Durant is he, he gets hurt now. Every year he's getting injured. And that that's a sign of, of just the guy getting older because, you know, the older you get, the worse things get. But, uh I mean, he he was on a huge tear, but he's hurt again. And <laughs> yeah, a tear, all right. <laughs> so he's torn. <laughs> you know, I mean, they 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 were eighteen and two their last twenty games, and you know, Kyrie Irving's completely nuts, but he can play. But the fact like... of the matter is, if there's ten seconds to go in the game, he's the guy you want with the ball. <laughs> He's gonna make something happen. It reminds me of uh, Forrest he's too, Gump. He's too nuts to be to to be nervous, right? It reminds me of Forrest Gump. You remember when he was playing football and the guy's like, "That guy's stupid, but he can sure run." <laughs> yeah, this guy like Kyrie, boy, he's stupid, but man, that guy can score. Uh, so we're getting closer to the Pegasus. That's going to be the worst Pegasus of all time. <laughs> somebody, Ooh. somebody called it to me the Pegasus. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far, but uh, um, well, not far off. It's uh. It's accurate. Compared- Let's see. The headliner is Cyber uh, Cyber Jet Cyberknife, and he hasn't won since July. Um, <clears throat> Proxy, he's one of the headliners. He has one win since like Clark ever. Um, Defended art, art collector. Yeah, who, whose last good race is, is, was a Charles That's Charlestown, and uh, Defunded, who's. Uh, you know who's probably going to win? I heard. I heard law professor might get in the mix there, which he's a turf horse. Well, if they run law professor, if the, if the Pegasus has moved to Aqueduct, I, I think law professor's got a shot. But his trainer is is Charlie Whittingham at Aqueduct, and he's uh, Michael Whittingham everywhere else. <laughs> hmm. A phenomenon that we cannot explain. X-Files, call them in. 
Yeah. Philly and Mulder. Let's figure this out. I said to my dad, you know, it was funny. I, I, I use like five horses in that race. <clears throat> and then I was like, you know what? Law professor is going to win this. He's the one. Yeah. <laughs> this guy, like all his horses, they get the aqueduct and they all run like 10 lengths better. And, and that's exactly what happened. He just sat third. Rocking out of the water. And it was a shitty price, but what are you going to do? Sometimes, you know, you're already. I was already locked in on multi-race wagers and stuff, but. Um... Anyways. Is there anything worse than a a guy who always picks chalk, who brags after chalk wins? Yes, but I'd rather not say. (laughs) (laughs) Rather not go there. I have enough idiots in my DMs as it is. Yeah, I hear you. Well, it's been a fun week. It has. I walked around barefoot in the rain and 30 degrees. I got the gout. Um, I actually had a good week wagering, though. Yeah, me too. Had I'll to tell stay. you one thing. <laughs> I've, I've cut back. I've cut way back on my action bets. Right. You're precise. You're, you're getting into precision. And the bankroll has has actually been not as depleted. And I think mentally, I just don't get, like, frustrated because, I mean, racing is a frustrating game nowadays, especially when you're trying to beat the chalk all the time. And I think the losses in races that you're just, you know, kind of like. Meh. Yeah. Not even really. darts at. Right. It it bothers you as much as, as the ones that you really like you know and, um i will say that uh on a serious note i feel bad for the people in texas the horsemen because oh that's they're, they're in the middle of a war against heisa and heisa sucks i mean i'm not gonna say anything different it, it, it's it's a it's been it's been terribly done they're you know they are what they are but the fact of the matter is that Cutting your 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 nose off to spite your face, um, it's just not going to work. No, that's not going to. I don't know who is advising them. But at some point, you need to say you're going to destroy the racing business in this state if you cut the rest of the country out of participating. You cannot survive on on track handle and their little tax, re- uh, you know rebates that they get for the purses the racetracks will not stay open they will close because they're not making any money they, their opening day handle was three and three point three million dollars last year this year was like three hundred thousand because it's only on track or uh you know within texas money and it's just uh it's unsustainable just unsustainable. I don't know how they're going to run those stakes. I don't know how they can, in good conscience, even run them. 
because you're giving a you know if a track handles three hundred thousand dollars, <laughs> then and the purse is three hundred thousand. <laughs> you gotta remember if you're handling three hundred, then you're only getting um, say fifteen percent. Say say for argument's sake, it's easier to count twenty percent. So you're taking so so figure takeouts twenty percent. Um, where's he gonna get the other money from? Well, that means the sixty thousand dollars is coming to you. The sixty thousand has to be divided by the state, by the horsemen, by the breeders, and by the racetrack. Well, how long do you think they're gonna? <laughs> if they run three days a week, how long do you think the track's gonna gonna be able to survive on? Um, uh, you know, making uh, twenty thousand dollars a day for three yeah. days a week, sixty thousand. I, I, I wouldn't give them a week. That's what I mean. You you can't pay the bills. That's 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 way below a break even point. It's, I don't understand the math. And, 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 for, and for the purse fund, that 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 funds <clears throat> roughly one race a day. So, you know, you're dead. You're dead in the water. And I know that's a very rudimentary look at it, but... Um, no, but that's basically what's going on. I mean... Your revenues are down 90%. <clears throat> that's incredible. It's a, yeah, it's a sad situation because I get that they're trying to stand up to the federal government. There's nothing wrong with that in theory. Some of the issues that they have with ISA are one million percent correct. But there are issues. Like, like you might have an issue with your boss. Well, if it's a big enough issue where they're not going to pay you anymore, they're going to cut your salary 90%. <laughs> You're going to have to figure that issue out. You know? And that's the thing is uh, they just seem dug in and you know, I, I just don't see how it's sustainable. I'm sure they'll figure it out real quick. <laughs> I, I don't know, man. I don't know. So so anyways, well, we'll, uh, we'll be back at it next week. Absolutely. Better than ever. Bigger and better than ever. We might even have a special guest next week. Okay. That's Maybe what's we up. A special guest. We should have a special guest. Yeah, I'm down with Who that. Who should we have as a special guest? Well, I don't know. We need a special guest. I mean, if it were up to me, it'd probably be either Time Lord or, or Sid. <laughs> That's that, that, those, are, those might be our choices. See what we can do about uh, about next week. Okay. Break it up a little bit, because there really ain't much to talk about next week. No. Next week's a dead week. Dead. We don't even, we don't even have a sham race to talk about. <laughs> um, but uh, everyone, thank you for listening, and uh, if you made it this far, you are you are the real MVP. You get the top fan symbol. You get the top fan symbol on your Facebook, even though I don't know what that does, and I've never actually seen the top uh, the top. Fan I don't know. Fan. The mayor is top fan for uh, Ray Handel, so he is. Yes, 
I have to speak to him about that. <laughs> I was I was shocked when I saw it. I got uh, someone. What did they send me today? I, I was the top fan for <laughs> um something that like I don't ever even remember commenting on. It's very strange, but uh, but like I said, if you reach this far in the podcast, then you are champion of something <laughs> and at some point at some day you will get a prize right we'll we'll, we'll end up making shirts and get after, after yeah after like three years of threatening <laughs> to do it <laughs> we, we're actually going to come up with some sort of trinket to reward our our, uh, our top fans our top fans and our, and our loyal listeners I need a cookie. All right. We'll uh we'll we'll talk to you later.